0: Welcome to today's session. My name is John Nelson and today's episode is going to be a conversation with the editors of our book, Using Predictive Analytics to Improve Healthcare Outcomes. The editors include me, Jane Felgen, and Marianne Hozak. The content of our episode today is we're going to be discussing the reasons why we wrote this book and what each part we plan to play within the editing of the book. The evidence for the book was driven by my work with both of my co-editors, Mary Ann and Jane, in healthcare and specifically frameworks of care. It started with primary nursing that led me into relationship-based care in the framework and then me working with Mary Ann and the operations. So what I've been inst- struck by over the 15 years of working with both of these colleagues is that it requires theory belief which is what jane offers with the relationship-based care so what is my caring for self caring of manager my clarity my competence what does that do in my behavior as a care provider to the outcomes and then Ann with the operations and jane of course has a lot of operations as well but Ann, with all the work that we've done together in research and working through all those operational issues in launching research that's really discovery for actions based on that context. So as I've worked with relationship-based care, caring behaviors assurance system, Jane Watson's theory, these three different frameworks or approaches to care were of interest to me to write in a book. So I contacted Jane as someone who has the hunches and the theories, and Mary Ann as the operations expert, and then combined, we worked on a leadership chapter as well. So the main foundation are, you need to have good math, you need to have good theory to drive your science, you have to have an understanding of operations, and it's all led by good leadership at every level of the organization.
1: I think the most important part of our process together is to be able to take research in caring and be able to execute that from an operational perspective you know there are many 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 challenges that we would need to overcome in order for us to really see the fruits of that labor of that research you know part of our process is sometimes just trial and error and we learn a lot from that in the operational perspective we really needed to have a lot of staff engagement And I think part of our successes over the last 15 years have been the fact that we've been able to, as a team, teach our staff, engage our staff, and get them to appreciate the research, the math, the theory, and then really show how all of that can come together within their professional practice at the bedside to do what is the real reason we're here, is to improve patient outcome.
2: I was inspired to be involved in writing this book, I think mostly born out of frustration that the billions of dollars being spent in healthcare following data that is somewhat pertinent but not relevant, I imagine like a mountain. And at the top for me and my work with relationship-based care and leaders is there's no absence or lack of wanting to do the right thing to create environments for the staff and for the patients. I, I think there's a unanimous agreement that that's what you want. And at the base of that mountain, I believe that people who choose health care do so for the right reason. And it's not a lack of talent or desire to change the world of healthcare. But in the middle, you've got chaos. You've got processes and structures that are going against each other. And you've got people struggling to achieve what everyone wants. And in the midst of all of that, you've got data points that are not relevant. So what we've experienced, and I think the reason why I was both inspired and learned so much and came to be convinced that this book would be helpful to everyone, those who are teaching our future healthcare providers and those who are managing and those who are actually delivering the care, that if you don't engage the people at the point of service in the entire process, not token to get an engagement score to go up, that if you literally appreciate and value them, and then give them the tools, the practices, the theory, the concepts, the experts, and let it unfold,
0: you're going to get the magic. Well, we do talk about the quadruple aim in chapters 6 and 16, We had a long conversation in our international research group about how do we connect the outcomes directly to the care provider, because currently models in healthcare are wrong. And they're wrong because they include only the organizational and the patient data but they do not include the care provider data as it relates to their attitudes and behaviors and beliefs. The challenge from a mathematical standpoint is to connect the care provider directly to that outcome. And you can't connect it and say it's causal, you just have to create an argument using science. And that begins with theory. So in our book, Measuring Caring, we talk about how at New York Presbyterian Hospital, at that nine-year study, we actually show how employees evolve as they learn how to behave as a professional and how to interact with other professionals that supplement and potentiate their skills. So it's a matter of then us being able to monitor that belief, and that evolution of belief, and that evolution of behavior and attitude over time. Now that requires interfacing the data and actually monitoring, for example, (laughs) who took care of this patient, how many days did they take care of them, how long did they take care of them, and then being able to have samples large enough that mathematically show the difference and detect the models of organizational data, patient data, and staff data. So that's what we're working on, is that we believe that when a quadruple aim is asserted, that healthy employees translate to healthy patients and safe patients, you have to make sure that your math is going to account for all of that complexity that Jane just talked about, so that you can create a convincing argument that these outcomes are attributed to the patient, the organization, and the staff. So that's what we are trying to do, is to show that models that include the staff are accurate, not wrong.
1: Quadruple aim, of course, is is a major focus you know, for organizations across the, the country. And looking at the, the current data that we have in achieving those aims, we certainly are inundated with data, but there is so much data that it's not necessarily informational. And it becomes very difficult for us then to take that data and prioritize it into the various aims, not only to show are we achieving the strategic goals that we've set, but also then helping us, you know, how what, what are the steps we need to achieve those goals? And then how do we measure those incremental pieces? I think every organization knows that you're not going to achieve all the strategic goals as an overall. We've really got to bring it down to organizational goals and unit goals that we know that we can apply steps to in order to create a building block so that we are moving in the right direction. Sometimes, you know, changing an organization is like trying to turn the Titanic. You need to really be able to prioritize what are the needs and how do we meet those goals at the unit level And in order for us to do that, the data that we needed to collect needed to be really important to us. There's so much data that you really could get lost in in all of that. And then at the end of the day, you've done all this work and you really have nothing to show for it. And it becomes very frustrating for the staff. There's a tremendous amount of data, as we said, that they collect every day. And yet at the end of the day, all we have is a collection of data with no information behind it. And that's really, I think, the difference that we've been making over the last 15 years with the work that we've been doing in focusing all this data around caring for the staff, for the patient, and then showing how we can collect that and move it forward in a more prioritized process so that we know what goals we're achieving. And then, yes, all of that together as an accumulated effort is going to start moving that organization to achieving the higher strategic goals toward the the quadruple aim that we're, we're set to. And also included in that, of course, is high reliability. Almost all organizations now are also focused on the elements of becoming a high reliability organization. All of which, again, too, it's safety, it's communication, it's relationships, it's it's really all of the essence of the work that we have been doing and And already identifying that if those building blocks aren't addressed, you know, if they're not important to the organization, we're really not going to create the foundation we're looking for in order to achieve all of the higher goals that we're looking to achieve as an organization. I think the word fragmentation is
2: central to our conversation. I believe we are in an era of high value around data, high value around scores and less insight into the structures that drive individual behavior. And one of the reasons I am so passionate about relationship-based care is that it asserts you can't have a healing and healthy organization unless you focus on first the individuals, second them as colleagues and then united to create a better patient experience. So if you go back to that metaphor of the mountain, I think that internal fragmentation that exists by people who again want the very best but they they choose to come at it from individual separate parts disconnected from those who have the most insight and how to create data that is relevant. Even the fragmentation, I wanna give another example of that. A nurse is not a nurse is not a nurse. If you're the patient and you're in the hospital for five and a half days, you want to see the same person who, who makes a commitment to knowing you and communicating about you. So having 10 different nurses in 11, 12 hour shifts sets one up for fragmented care. They can't communicate what they don't know. And they can't deliver the best of care in the context of a 12-hour window. That's the reality of how fragmented healthcare is. And as we've become more acutely ill in hospitals, we now have hospitalists, and what do we do with them? they have the same schedules. My mother had three separate physicians in those five and a half days. The reason the three of us have an affinity and and another reason for why this book is so valuable is to begin to understand, you can believe that the individual caregivers bring the talent and the spirit and they matter, but if you're not willing to invest in an infrastructure of empowerment and shared leadership and managers who understand what it means to lead in that way, and decision-making that is inclusive and engaging people from all disciplines. It goes beyond theory. It is the actual implementation, and I think that's why relationship-based care is different. It's why Marianne and John and others have resonated with it, that it is all of those things. It is theory. Caring theory, which is absolutely core. We all have that consistently. But it's also the philosophy around relationships, around empowerment, around leadership. And last but not least, it's an operating system. There are guidelines for how to change the structures and the behaviors day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month. When you do all of that, then the individuals can really emerge and shine and bring their talent in an organization and when you tool them with expertise and the right data then and only then in my view are you really going to be able to change healthcare fundamentally from the inside out and we've spent decades dancing around the edges and i am so grateful that those at IOM and the quality groups have understood that it begins and ends with the people, but you can't just have the people without the structure and the leadership and the data. And that's why I think this effort is so exciting because it's bringing them all together. It's making the complex more simple to understand. It's not a hard thing to grasp. It is a hard thing to commit to. If you're uncertain, but if you know there's a process that's proven and you've got data and and folks and, and rigorous tools and you've got the commitment, then you've got the whole package. Because I believe that if anybody's looking for a simple silver bullet to create the best patient experience or the highest staff engagement scores, they're not understanding and living in the real world of healthcare. Healthcare is complex. Any organization is complex. And the science, up until John came along and refused to just be limited by it, has been very reductionistic in many ways. Um, And there are good reasons for that. I understand that. But to the extent that the science has not been willing to take on head-on the complexity that is our reality. We're always going to have same old, same old data and the same old, same old lack of movement. But when you pull all of that together, as John's describing, I keep going back to the word magic, that synergy that happens when people get inspired in knowing that you trust and value their insight, inherently, and you live that by engaging them in gathering the data, analyzing the data, acting on the data. And when you've got a leader who understands that and is willing to put the rigorous infrastructure in place and support the staff, and also invest in having an expert analyst who can help them learn how to use that data. It's when that partnership takes place, is when we've got to hope to really make change.
0: The biggest opportunity for both big data and for predictive analytics is that it can supplement thinking. Mm -hmm. What we do with mathematics is we don't tell the story, we tell the pattern. That's completely different. The pattern may be spurious, the pattern may be real, But the pattern is likely not lasting and it doesn't inform. So while it's fancy and interesting and sexy, whatever word you want to use, it doesn't resonate for action. Only when you tell the story will data resonate for action. So when I began my nursing career, I actually went into nursing because I felt it was a ministry. I did that for 11 years in ICU, in the intensive care unit. And I wanted to understand what parts of that profession, that part, how in what in nursing was making an impact. Because we just changed stuff. And I thought, you know, in this organization, we just show frequency graphs. And this was 30 years ago. We still use frequency graphs. We're still doing the same thing we did three decades ago. Well, at that time, I thought, I wonder if there's a way I can tell a story. So when I took this, and I hated math, to be honest, but I was so frustrated as a staff nurse that we kept being told to change when I was just getting used to loving primary nursing and they were going to take it away. I thought, I need to figure out how to tell this story and the impact being a primary nurse has so I took this class thinking this is a long shot for me because I got a D in business math and I ended up getting A's in all math once I understood, I had perspective. I I took this class, she had this bag of M&Ms, I've told this story um, before on um, at conferences and stuff, but it's a powerful story because once we put our M&Ms on the table and we looked at our Red M&Ms in our green M&Ms in our brown M&Ms and all the different Descriptions how many red did we have? When we lined it up which was the short one which was the tall one and I began to have the realization These are groups well if I can use descriptive statistics and uh, mathematics to analyze my bag of M&Ms. For goodness sake, why am I not telling the story of nurses? If I can tell a story of an M&M bag, for goodness sake, I should be able to tell the story of nurses. Well, this was, I mean, I was never the same after that. And what I have found is when I read books on mathematics, I mean, really passionate people, people that have a real passion for mathematics and I have a real passion for mathematics. All of them are passionate because you can measure anything. You just have to figure out how to measure it. And since we can measure anything, we can tell any story, but it begins with careful listening. What are the variables that are being dealt with by these patients and caregivers within this system that are facilitating or impeding that outcome? And that's where the important variables come. And those aren't necessarily going to be in the big data. Those aren't necessarily gonna be in the algorithms or the static models. Those are the stories that take time to set up for measurement, and once you set them up, you can use it in a dynamic way, so the story and the different chapters of that story can be told again and again or can be discovered, but only if you have the variables from that context that are told by the people within the experience.
2: It's interesting, John. I've always loved math. I've always loved math. Math to me always helps make sense. It's my way of taking chaos and organizing it into something that I can better understand. Just like frequency studies are still here after three decades, and that's the only way we're looking at it, we're still not being innovative in the way in which we look at individual cultures. There may be enough staff, but are they the right staff? Do they have the same values? Have Do they have the same competency level? Are they being scheduled in ways that optimize their relationship with the patient? Math factors that in as well, but it was not until More recently, when you were able to break through and show the profile of caring and the impact of that on safety, that was the breakthrough. Your ability to get inside with the data to help tell the story that reinforces what staff have told me for decades. They would rather work shorthanded with people who work in harmony and know why they're there than they would to have ample staffing and have a few toxic individuals. That's,
1: that's a fact. Yeah, one, of the, one of the studies John and I did specifically with the staff was a descriptive study for pause and flow. And I think that was probably one of the most interesting and for me in operations, the most telling. Because we gave the staff opportunity to really, again, as John said, tell their story. They could tell us, you know, episodes within their workday where they had a pause in workflow, where they had an exciting moment that really just pushed them forward. And they really had a flow moment that they were excited to be there. And hearing their stories and their interpretations of things that were going on were really quite telling. And it surprised them when we sat down to give them that information to say, you know, once we've collected this, here's your story. They were a little bit surprised to find out the things that really gave them pause and the things that really gave them flow. And it was from all aspects of the staff, nursing assistants, housekeeping. Everybody had bits and pieces of what workflow and workload looked like for them within a given shift. But it was, it was quite telling, and it was that story then that the nurse manager was really able to sit down then with the staff and really look at how their care delivery structure and process may have needed to be tweaked. And what happens as we know with staff is that what do they do? They learn all these fabulous workarounds, which again, is very innovative. Nursing has always been very innovative. But what we wanted to try to do was to kind of harness that innovation into making you know, action plans that were you know, truly productive as opposed to having action plans where we say we'll continue to monitor. <laughs> you know, I think that comes up in every action plan, which we have got to erase those words altogether. We did monitor. Now it's time for action. You know, what is it we're going to do to change this? But I think it's that storytelling. And that is data. That is data. I and, mean, you know, and again, it's not a frequency. It's not a competency. It is all about interprofessional interactions and and reactions, you know, to whatever stimuli is happening to the staff at that moment or the patient. Also, I know we've done studies over the years where we've actually had patient focus groups to hear again your story. How did you feel that the, the, the staff's response was? And sometimes it was call bell wasn't answered quickly enough, and yet we go back and do a time study. And from the patient's perspective, three minutes could be three hours, but that is their perception, right? So that is what we have to be very thoughtful of. But again, this is different types of data that needs to be collected that gives us the information we need in order to make really sound, careful, caring changes in how we provide care to our patients.